I remember the day I realized that my parents didn't have a fucking clue how to be parents. That being an adult didn't mean you had your shit together or that you had any idea what you were doing. Welcome to episode 149 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, speaker, author, and networking coach. And today I am joined by Natasha Sattler author of Shit Adults Never Taught Us, which is 98 bite-sized and hilarious chapters for all of life's adulting moments. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. How many times have you said to yourself, why didn't they teach us this in school? Like, why didn't they teach us things I could actually use instead of long division? Why didn't they teach us how to do our taxes, get insurance, what the difference is between a 401k and an IRA, how to calm anxiety, how to break up with someone, and so many other things? Well, my guest today may have written the perfect user's manual for adulthood. Divided into four sections, career and money, relationships, mind, and life. Shit Adults Never Taught Us is focused on personal growth, self-care, and leveling up in our lives without judgment. Natasha, I'm super excited to talk to you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi. Oh my gosh, it's so good to be here. I know, right? I can't wait to talk (laughs) about all this stuff. I have read the book. It is so fun. And I listened somewhere, or I read somewhere that you wrote the book during the pandemic I and did. that it came out of, you know, you were having happy hours with friends. And then after the first couple of months, there wasn't really much to talk about because we weren't doing anything. Yeah. So it wasn't like we could catch up on like where, where we'd gone or what trips we'd been on. And you just started talking about like life things, like everyday life things. And that's how the idea for the book came. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I felt like when I had my normal life, you know, back when we used to go places and see people, we would have these conversations about our week, about like what happened, who we saw. And that was the whole conversation. And so when I was in these Zoom happy hours with friends, there was nothing. It would be like, hey, what'd you do this week? Oh, I watched 75 hours of one television show. And that's Mm -hmm. all I did. And so I was connecting with friends in a way that I hadn't before. We were talking about like, actual things or like things were coming up in organic, subtle ways. Like people were furloughed, but they didn't have any savings or they were wondering, Mm -hmm. can I take money out of my 401k? But I hear you lose like half of it to taxes Mm -hmm. or can I donate to, or like put money into my 401k if I'm not actively employed. And then it was like, my employer kind of sucks. And I'm realizing that now that I don't have to see them every day. (laughs) should I leave my job or like there were so many things. And then of course, everybody's relationship either went from zero to a hundred or a hundred to zero. And how do I navigate that? And then there was the mental health stuff of like, I've never been depressed before. I've never been anxious Mm -hmm. before, but like now it's literally all I feel. And how do I navigate that? So it was basically a guide that was written just like word vomited onto a page because it felt like it had to be something. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was going to be. So I wrote it all down into a Google document. My anxiety made me write it in six weeks. And then 
I edited it over like six or seven months Mm -hmm. and it formed itself into a book that when I say 98 chapters scares the shit out of people. (laughs) They're like, what is it? A tome? (laughs) I'm like, I swear to God, it's not like that, like 800 page Obama book. Like it is very, very reasonable Two, maybe three pages a chapter each about half of the chapters end in a checklist because I'm the kind of person that like, I read something and I'm like, oh my God, I read it. I'm done. I've grown. I'm complete now. And then I literally two seconds later, forget everything I just read. You know what? I want to say those little checklists at the end are, I love this because it's such the kind of directive and the verbiage I would use. It's called give it a fucking shot. Yes. And then you have like, okay, here's our four things to give it a fucking shot. Like, are you going to do these things or not? Give it a fucking shot already. Yeah. And it's not just like, like the career and money section. Obviously there's some things that I'm like, go lock your credit. And then here are the four ways to do that. Yeah. But there's also like, do you want to make friends as an adult? Here are the things that you can do to go do that. Do you want to get control over like catastrophic thinking? Here are a couple ways to do that. It's not just the boring stuff, which is why I say I put career and money first, because that's like the boring stuff. But it is necessary. It's so important, though. Like, I even when I read that chapter, I'm 47 years old. I've owned my own company for seven years. I even was like, shit, I should have read this when I was in my early 20s, (laughs) you know? Right? Like, (laughs) we could have avoided some mistakes. And that's what I always say. Like, I wrote the book not out of some sort of like higher pedestal that I sit on or something. Absolutely yeah. not. I wrote it out of all of my personal failures. Yeah. All the things I wish I knew because I'm not special. Like nothing that I have done mm-hmm. is stuff that only I will go through. Like everybody goes through these things. Yes. I love, and it's also like, it's not a novel. You don't sit down no. and read it cover to cover. You look at the 98 chapters and you say, okay, which one do I want to learn about today? And yeah, then you learn about relevant that. today. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's going to be different every day. And we're going to get into the four sections of the book. But I, when I was going through the chapters, it's so timely. Like I was going through the chapters. I had a girlfriend call me in tears. Her boyfriend had just broken up with her kind of unceremoniously. And when I say boyfriend, we're in our late 40s. Like these are serious relationships. It's not like we're high school sweethearts, you know, like this right. is a ser- like they were about to move in together. And then he I think I don't know whatever happened. She was called me a mess. And I immediately scrolled into the relationship section of your book. And I took screenshots of it. And you have oh my a God, one- I love that. Yes. You have one chapter titled acknowledge that all relationships end. Yeah. And I sent her just that cover page. And she was like, Oh, my God, thank you so much. I totally need to hear that. I was like, Thank Natasha. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like literally all relationships, not just romantic, but like friendships, yeah. all of them eventually end mm-hmm. except for the last ones. <laughs> like there are very few that you are going to have at the end of your life. Mm-hmm. And so we get so in our head, like what went wrong? What happened? Mm-hmm. What did I do? And it's, it can be yeah. as simple as it just ran its course. Yep. It's just time. I know. Of course, and she was lot. like, I don't know what I did. I'm like, you didn't do anything. He's an asshole. Like, that's what I'm right. supposed to say. <laughs> of course. And you know what? There are certain things that sometimes she might read one chapter from inside the relationship and be like, oh, that's not relevant. And then she'll read it after the relationship and be like, yes, Sam, I really should have like read that. Yeah. But you read things from a different perspective. Like I yeah. find the mind section is the most relevant and, and a little bit the relationship, but like you can read it one day. Yeah. And then. Two weeks later, read it with a totally different yep. mindset. And it just like, 
it hits different. I mean, it's almost like I read my weekly horoscope through Madame Clairvoyant every Sunday night. She writes the ones for the upcoming week. And it's just like this. Sometimes that Madame is talking directly to me. (laughs) She is seeing my soul. And other times I'm like, oh, this horoscope is for another Pisces. Like, It's not for me. Or there are certain times where you'll read a horoscope and you just sort of make it fit into your life. I feel like a lot of people do that where they're Mm -hmm. like, I need answers and I'm going to find it in these three sentences and they make it fit. Oh, yeah. And that's why I was like that. I do not want that. That's why the book has so many chapters is I do not want somebody looking for answers in the wrong place. So it's all there. Like if one doesn't fit you, then that's not right for you today. Read some others. Yeah. All right. So let's do a little bit with the book. Let's look at the four categories. And of course, we don't have time to go over the 98 chapters. So what I think I'm going to do is look at the four categories and just pull out one from each section to talk about. So we can, the listener can kind of get a flavor for what you're discussing in them. Okay. So the the first one was career and money. And I mean, I think it's hard for me to pick one out of here because there was so many things in here. Like, how to buy a car, how to have a side hustle, how to negotiate your salary. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's never take the first pr- like price per, per salary they give you. <laughs> how to negotiate yeah. a rate, how to get insurance. And I loved this one because everybody should be doing it and not a lot of people do it is negotiate your health bill. Your yes. bills you get from your doctor or whatever. I don't know why people are just like, oh, it was $5,000 for my MRA. Okay. I'll go pay the $5,000 MRI bill. Like why right. are people negotiating their health bills? And I guarantee you got a $5,000 MRI bill. And then you went and you complained to somebody about it yep. and the energy and the time that it took you to complain to your friend or your coworker, yeah. or your parent or whatever about that bill could have just been used to get that bill down. Mm-hmm. I did it like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. even after it went through my insurance. So that talks about just reasonable and customary. And it talks about if your insurance company is negotiating on your behalf and say you don't have insurance, say whatever you did wasn't covered, it was out of network, whatever it is. Your insurance company, when they get a bill, they negotiate it down to what they consider to be reasonable. You can do the same thing. You're not employed by Blue Cross, but nobody yep. gives a shit. So like call them and say, hey, I looked up based on the you know common market value of my neighborhood or my town mm-hmm. or whatever. This service should have been $150. You are charging me $700. Yep. Why? Give me an itemized bill and tell me why you are charging yes. me so much more than the common amount. And they usually negotiate it back down to what mm-hmm. is reasonable mm-hmm. or you can have like a valid reason. I went and negotiated a bill a couple of weeks ago. I've done this twice over the past couple of months. The first one was my doctor had put the wrong code in when it was submitted to the insurance. Mm -hmm. And so I got an outrageous blood work bill and I called and I was like, why did you guys not cover this? Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, it was the wrong code. And I had to call the doctor's office. They resubmitted it with the right code. It went down $700. And then... The other medical bill that I had was a service that while I was in the office, I said, I don't need this. I promise you guys, I don't need this. Mm -hmm. It's a diagnostic test that I've done before. It always comes back inconclusive. Please don't do it. They put me in the waiting room and then they called me back and had me do that test. And I said in the room, I was like, once again, I don't need this. 
They did it and then charged me almost a thousand dollars for it. And so I called them and I was like, I asked not to have this procedure. You guys did it anyways. And they negotiated it down 30%. So yeah. It's this worth happened it. to me recently. So I have a dog with some medical issues. So I'm constantly going to CVS to fill prescriptions for her. And or mm. CVS or Chewy or Pet MD or whatever. And so there was this new pill and the doctor wanted to get on it right away. I called it into CVS. And so when I went there, of course, they asked for the date of birth. And so I'm like, two, five, 18. Like, that's my dog's date of birth. And like, so they think it's a human because her name is Madeline. So it comes up as Madeline as a five-year-old. And so this liver medicine comes up and they ring it up and it was $155 for 30 pills, $155 for 30 pills. And the woman was nice enough. She goes, I just want to tell you how expensive this medicine is. Can I have your insurance card? And I said, no, I don't have insurance for my dog. (laughs) And then she was like, oh, and then she went like this. Beep, beep, boop, all like on the computer. Yeah. And this, the medicine was suddenly $50. Yes. Like, I didn't even ask her to do it. I just said, it's for a dog. I don't have insurance. There's always a different price. Yeah. Always a different price. So. And you can Google it. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know where to start. Just Google what the price should be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I do that now for all the medicines. Like, so I went to Chewy and Chewy was actually $60 for a month supply. And I was like, oh, CVS is actually cheaper. So now with the beep, boop, boop that she did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. (laughs) On to section two, relationships. And we talked about this a little bit. I thought your tips around how to survive a breakup or a divorce was truly helpful because no one, I mean, let's talk about marriage. Like when you get married, no one prepares you for the fact that 50% of marriages fail. So there's no like, There's no like, okay, in case of emergency, pull out this binder for how to get divorced. So I just thought, I mean, it's really useful. No one wants to think about divorce when they're getting married, but let's look at the statistics, okay? Yes. Yeah. And you know what? It's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of people look at breakups and divorces like it's the end of the world, Mm -hmm. but it's just a closing of a chapter and entering a a new chapter. There's so... Like people think it's a failure. Or that they're going to be seen as a, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be seen as a failure. And it's not. It's just you're rediscovering yourself again. You're entering a new chapter. It doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing, but it can be really painful. And so a lot of that chapter is reframing your mindset around it and then also navigating through it Mm -hmm. with just some helpful tools that I think it reframes it of, like I list off a playlist and a lot of people's breakup playlists are the sad songs that make them wallow. And the playlist I list is the songs that make you feel like you're a badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to go through a breakup of some sort, some yeah, along the course of our lives or multiple breakups. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I did love that, you know, acknowledge that most relationships end. And one of my really good friends, Terry Trespicio, has a TED talk along those lines about like, we always think that when relationships end, that you have failed, that that relationship failed. But it didn't. It outgrew its course. It did what it was supposed to do. 
she akined it to, and I haven't watched the TED talk in a while, but she akined it to like when you buy a house and you outgrow that house and you sell that house and buy a new house, you don't say that failed you. You just say you need a bigger house, like you need a different house. It's just you have to reframe the way you think about things. Yeah. And you know what? That house was actually really helpful and successful and let you grow in Mm -hmm. it. And the same is true with a relationship. Even if you had a relationship that lasted a year Mm -hmm. and the past few months were like kind of crunchy and you guys knew that you were breaking up, you probably had an eight, nine, 10 month successful relationship that taught you things that you grew into that you can take into your next relationship. And the last two months weren't successful. It's still overall a success. It just ended. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And I think reframing your mindset around it is a great segue into the mind part of the book. My favorite chapter was because there's so many, I mean, there's great tips, but there's so many times (laughs) in my life being a solopreneur, doing it all by myself that I have said audibly out loud, well, I need a mental health day, but I have never stopped to think about, okay, What is a mental health day and how do I actually take one Mm -hmm. and make it useful? So you have a whole chapter on how to take a mental health day, which I thought was amazing. Yes. Or why do you need a mental health day? Because there are so many times that we get to the point where we need mental health day that we didn't even realize all the things that led us to that event and like what burned us out, why we're feeling exhausted, what we're breaking from. Mm -hmm. But there's like this, again, there's this stigma of like, you can take a sick day if you have a sore throat, but taking a sick day, if you're burnt out, if you're depressed, if you're just Mm -hmm. feeling off, like the mental toll that life takes on us, we don't treat as a regular illness. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy when you think about it that way. Yeah. So what? let's get into the how to take a mental health day. Like, what are your tips for the listeners? Because I think there's some people right now are listening like, well, I could do, I probably need a mental health day. Yeah. So taking a mental health day doesn't necessarily mean you're just stepping away from your computer. I think it has to be something that breaks you out of your routine. And it can be something very simple. It can be take yourself on a little date, go to your neighborhood market or go to the beach, something that you've wanted to do, but -hmm. something that gives you a break from your routine because Mm -hmm. it's not always the work that's burning you out or the screen that's burning you out or your family or your kids or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes just be a break from the routine, walking away, reminding yourself like what makes you happy, what calms you. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that give you a sense of renewal. And there's probably stuff that in the back of your head, you're like, God, I haven't seen the water in a while, or Mm -hmm. I haven't smelled fresh air in a minute. I haven't Mm -hmm. moved my legs. These are the things that are so simple and Mm -hmm. we just don't do them. Taking a walk is something you give give yourself a little mini break. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we just forget our bodies need to do because we've Mm -hmm. gotten so stuck in the routine of like, sitting at a desk, talking to people all day and realizing sometimes you need a day where you don't talk to anybody. Oh my God. During COVID, because you know, we all had Zoom fatigue and we were all on Zoom. I did. I did that. I had to do it for myself that one day a week, I called it my Zoom free day. And it was just one work day a week. I would not accept any Zoom meetings. And it's easier for me to do that as a 
the owner of my company where I don't have other people asking me like, oh, setting meetings in my calendar. They ask me, when are you available? But I had to have yeah. one day a week where it was a combination of stuff where I wasn't looking at my own reflection, where I didn't have to do my makeup, where mm. I just wasn't jumping from one meeting to the next without having a moment to catch my breath. So I feel like even that was like my form of mental, like that was a very small piece of mental health for me was having that one day that I didn't get on Zoom. Yeah. And there's sometimes even just like a half of a day mm -hmm. where you're usually a slower morning, you need the coffee. You just, they're mm -hmm. like, I can't talk to anybody today before 11 or it's going to be an exhausting evening or something. Yep. Just knowing the longevity of it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. so important too. We push ourselves to these limits that are just yeah. unfair. Generations before did not have to do Zoom meetings all day, right. did not get expected to wake up checking emails, go to bed checking emails. Right. This exhaustion is unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, the boundaries were already established back then. They were technological boundaries were created because you and I were just talking about this before we went live about how there was a time in our yeah. careers where we shut off our computer and left our computer at work. There was a time where we didn't have iPhones or Blackberries. And when we went home from work, we weren't checking things. And so the boundaries, there were infrastructural boundaries created for us. And when yes. those boundaries were removed, we weren't very good at establishing our own boundaries around them. Boundaries is, first of all, a very big part of the book. It's a yep. through line with relationships, with career, with money, with mm -hmm. mental health. But I think boundaries get blurred very easily as we just accept things. Yeah. Things become normalized very quickly for us. Mm -hmm. And the work from home lifestyle of saying, you guys, we're going to work from home, which sounded great, but then everybody got really tired mm -hmm. of hanging out, watching TV every night. So they're like, well, what's five more emails and yep. that gets blurred. There's the emails that come in on Saturday, Sunday, yep. then relationship boundaries get blurred. And it's not just romantic relationships, it's right. colleague relationships. You start letting people take advantage or in, in a way that you didn't let them before. It's just consciously knowing that feeling in your gut where you're like, somebody crossed a boundary of mine. I feel uncomfortable. I don't mm -hmm. like this feeling. And then recognizing how to stop that in the future. I think that's mm -hmm. really important. Yeah, no, 100%. We didn't, I mean, our boundaries went out the window during COVID. Like, I mean, it just did. Like, everything did. was, I mean, it was unprecedented times. So, unprecedented times, unprecedented things happen. So, yeah. So, the fourth and final part of the book is life, which, I mean, yep. how big is that topic? But you talk about one of my favorite <laughs> things in the whole world, which is traveling. And you talk about it a lot traveling yes. by yourself, traveling on any budget. And I went to your Instagram and I saw some of your beautiful travel photographs. I mean, it's just, I think, I mean, there's so many reasons people should travel, but I'm a very big fan of Phil, yes. Rosen, Phil Rosenthal. And he ha has the show Somebody Feed Phil or I'll Have What Phil. It used to be called I'll Have What Phil's Having. And it's now Somebody Feed Phil. And I'm I listening love that show. Yes. And so he has an audiobook. So I'm listening to the audiobook of it with my husband. And he had a line in the audiobook which said, when you travel to places, they suddenly become more personal to you. So if there is an upheaval oh. in a place you've been, it's more personal, you care more about it. Or if some sort of tragedy, you know, not 
like tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes or what happened in a place that you've been, you're suddenly more, it's more personalized to you. And I just think that's so, I mean, that is such a way of opening your heart to other people's struggles. And you don't even think, like, I never thought of travel that way until he said it. So I think travel is a way of unlocking parts of yourself. Mm. So you can be a different person for a quick moment Mm -hmm. in a different country. And you're, again, you get stuck in your routine at home. So when you're abroad and you have this like new routine, new lifestyle, even if it's a day, Mm -hmm. you're at a new restaurant, you're thrown out of your element and you're inundated with a new culture, with new things. You're just, you're taking things in like you're a child again. There's new information coming your way. It gives you an opportunity to unlock pieces of yourself that like, Maybe you didn't know we're there. It's yeah. the, there's a scary element to being thrown out of your routine, but there is such a valuable element with what comes on the other side of that mm-hmm. when you discover parts of yourself that I think are so worth the brief discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like it's so invaluable. Yeah. I mean, and I think most people don't travel to foreign countries because they're afraid of the language barrier. And th- yes, that can yeah. be anxiety inducing, but I've traveled to enough foreign countries and not been able to speak the language enough to realize you get through it. And it is fun, like trying to communicate when people understand that you are trying, you are trying to communicate, you're doing everything you can. They want to help you get your point across or help you get to work, whatever you're doing. It's just, I don't know. I think for me, the hardest thing about COVID was not traveling. Yes. And the like getting back into it because Mm -hmm. the world changed a little bit. And so like getting back into that flow, I used to travel all the time. And then it takes like a reignition. So you got to restart and that we got really comfortable at home. And so it got Mm kind of scary to think of leaving home, leaving our comfort zone again. So I think the language thing can be really hard for people, but realizing that nobody is they want to communicate. Everybody wants to communicate yeah. just like we do with people that, you know, we interact with. Mm-hmm. It's not a scary thing if it's worth it to you. Right. So what are your top tips yeah. for traveling on any budget? Like, cause I know that you have a lot of budget mm. travel tips in the, and cause so there are some people who are thinking like, I would love to travel. I just don't have the money. But so I always say there's yes. always a way to do it. When I was younger, I used to uh, subscribe to the magazine Budget Travel because I always had ideas on how to travel on a budget. And I used to love budget travel. And now I'm a little bit more bougie, so I don't do the budget travel anymore. But it was super important. It was a super important part of my life that no matter how much money I was making, I could still travel to beautiful places. Yes. And I think so travel, if it's important to you, you can always make it work. Mm -hmm. But for me, I find flexibility with dates. I use kayak. You guys, there's so many different websites. Like I'm not endorsed by kayak. Use whichever (laughs) ones you like, but I find kayak. You can put in whole months. You can put in dates. If you do have exact dates, but you're not like specific to a location, you can put in those dates and Mm -hmm. then anywhere. And it will tell you where you can go on that budget. You can say, I want this amount of like no layovers nonstop. This is my round trip budget. Mm -hmm. It can tell you that. Also booking on a travel rewards card gets you points and then you can use those. Being flexible with 
Airbnb versus booking.com versus going through a hotel and getting their rewards points. Staying with friends versus going solo can be different. Sometimes if I was on a budget and I was traveling alone, I would do a private room in a hostel, which is just basically a hotel room. But if you do it within a hostel, it's cheaper. And then you get the added benefit of family dinners, walking tours, pub crawls. You can do... Uh, you can just sit and read a book in their lobby and there's other people often just having conversations in the lobby. It's the fastest way to get to know people. Yeah. A lot of whom are also traveling solo. There are some really great resources out there too. I mean, there used to be travel agents that specialized in budget travel. I'm not sure if that's as prevalent anymore. Yeah. There's so many resources and blogs out there that can give you little tips. But yeah, for me, I say flexibility with dates or flexibility with location. Mm-hmm. Those are my top two for yeah. sure. Yeah. Being okay with like changing plans or saying like, I know, cause like I used to do the last minute travel. So like, I didn't know where I was going, but budget travel always oh. had this section called the last minute travel. And I was like, it was always, they were just trying to fill the leftover room. So they were super cheap. I was like, okay, so I guess we're going here this month. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it's beautiful. Like I went to Denmark in the middle of January and sometimes it's beautiful to go somewhere nobody else is going right now. There's no lines. You get to see a place that's like very, you're almost a local in Mm -hmm. those moments. Like it's very natural. And I love that. Like Mm -hmm. it's not the tourist experience in those times. Yeah. Yeah. I hope everybody buys this book buys these 98 bite-sized chapters because I got to tell you, there was, I mean, we're, like I said, we're like, like not even scratching the surface here of the shit you're going to learn about in this yeah. book. And if you're a listener of this podcast and you enjoy swearing, which of course you do, if you listen to this podcast, the book is written as if I wrote it, like with this, with the F-bombs <laughs> and like the real talk. It's like, it is amazing. I'm so glad yeah. you wrote it. I'm so glad you reached out to be on the podcast because it was, it really does sit really well with what we talk about here on The Shit Works. So thank you so much for being a guest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this seriously did align very well. I feel like we're <laughs> kindred spirits and we yeah. we talk very similarly. But yes, the book is it's essentially written in the exact voice we talked to. Yeah, I think that's what you said to me when you reached out. You're like, uh, we might be kindred spirits. <laughs> we might be exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to put a link to the book. Is it on everywhere? I'll put your link tree. Basically. Yeah. I'll put your link tree. So it's everywhere. It's Amazon. Yeah. All right. So I'll put that in the show notes and everybody can check it out and then they can reach out to you and tell you how much they learned from it. Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thanks. Within the 98 chapters, there is something in this book for everyone. And I think in addition to my book, it's something that every recent grad should be gifted. I'm 47, and as I read it, I was like, shit, wish someone had told me that like 20 years ago. The truth is, there is no user's manual for life, and most of us are just fumbling through it, hoping we don't fuck it up too much. Is this a user's manual? No, but there's some extremely useful information that can 100% help you in your adulting. So I encourage you to go buy it and read whatever chapters will help you the most right now. 
and then come back when you want to learn other things or when subjects within the book become timely for you and what's going on in your life. Speaking of timely, I think it's time for the drink of the week. I was recently at a restaurant and they had a drink they called an Italian margarita. And I have no idea how I haven't thought of this combination before seeing it on this menu because I love tequila and I'm married to an Italian. I'm going to guess the amounts here because I don't have the recipe. It was just at a restaurant I was at. So this is what you're going to need. You're going to need tequila blanco, limoncello, lemon and lime juice, and agave syrup. And to create it, this is what I'm going to guess you're going to need out of those. One and a half ounces of Blanco tequila, half an ounce of limoncello, a quarter ounce each of lemon juice and lime juice, and then a quarter ounce of agave syrup. You can kind of play with this a little bit to your fancy, to what you like, maybe, you know, a little bit sweeter, a little bit more tart. I don't know. Play with that. But I mean, it's only five ingredients. What I would do is add all ingredients to a shaker filled with ice, shake the shit out of it, and then strain it into a rocks glass filled with new ice, and then garnish with like a lime or a lemon. And man, I think I covered limoncello as a drink of the week in a previous episode, like way, 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 way back when we first started this podcast, because I do love limoncello, and I cannot believe I haven't put this combination together yet. But here we are. Not anymore. Now it's on the heavy rotation in the house. All right, friends, that's all for this week. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share the podcast to help it reach a larger audience. If you want more Julie Brown, you can find my book, The Shit Works, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Julie Brown BD. Just let me know where you found me when you reach out. I'm Julie Brown underscore BD on the Instagram, or you can just pop on over to my website, juliebrownbd.com. And until next week, cheers, guys. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.